Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazetta! Yay! And we've got a great episode for you. It's Paige's week for the next few weeks, and I am so very excited to get into this one. Me too. I want the facts, baby. You can tell I'm excited because of that weird cowboy voice I just did. (laughs) Half because of how high I am, and the other half because I'm so excited to finally be covering this cult. The only thing I really know about this cult is that sometimes my weird uncle passively mentions it when he wants to talk about how much he hates the government. (laughs) Fun. Yeah, I do want to do just a quick heads up for this episode. The end does get rough. It's not as rough as Anthill Kids, but it's, it's a little tragic at the end. Heads up. It sure is. Uh, and before we get into it, we have um, some news and reviews. Uh, the news is, is that we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. Check that out for $5 a month. You get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone. And we also have a five-star review here. And this one is a little special. So here we go. It starts, my dearest Carly. It's a bummer that our anniversary falls in the time of COVID. But what's always amazed me about our now eight year relationship is how much we continually enjoy each other's company, no matter where we are. We've traveled so much and we'll travel again when it's safe. But for right now, I'm cool with spending this anniversary curled up at home together, listening to podcasts, watching weird TV, raising a glass, petting our dogs and making each other cool snacks. So here's a shout out in our favorite mutual podcast i figured there was no one better than the people who are responsible for the way we say baby to each other now (laughs) happy anniversary love you to the moon and back shay oh baby they're so sweet i'm not crying you're crying shut up (laughs) (laughs) so sweet Um, There wasn't a five-star review. I got to say nothing about how great we are. Um, Had a lot of stuff about how much you love your partner. Not enough about how much you love us. So maybe you try it again. I'm pretty sure that was the whole point. (laughs) Andrea's trying to cover my mouth. Censorship. What is a higher compliment than someone saying that if you read this thing on your podcast, it will impress my partner? Well, they could have been like, Armando, I like your cool hair. That would have been nice. Could have started I do, there. I do want to say that, Armando, this asshole. is your own damn fault. This is this is a self-fulfilling prophecy because of all the weeks that you said, write us anything and we will read it. This is what happens. And I'm happy that it was this and not something else. That's fair. That's yeah, true. So it's like some type of white supremacy manifesto, but they gave us five stars for some reason. <laughs> like how do we get tricked into this <laughs> five stars but i hate chairs and women should be slaves to men okay five stars <laughs> uh and i think without any further ado let's get into the show hello hello don't drink the cool 
the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Andrea Casada. Yay! And it's my week. It's actually gonna be my week for the next five weeks. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, Paige is helping out tremendously by taking the reins of uh, series over from me. I spent the last three weeks um, just kind of following Timothy Leary's madness down a rabbit hole, I guess. Like, a, like this is the first time I've ever said I've fallen down a rabbit hole where I fell down like the actual rabbit hole from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, anytime something says eat me. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very interesting series to do, um, but it's it's hard to, for over an extended period of time, read the writings of somebody who did psychedelic drugs every single day. Especially when you read their book, like Timothy Leary's book, Flashbacks, is just a book um, that I feel like is probably made out of blotter paper, probably just soaked <laughs> in LSD. <laughs> Have you tried licking the pages yet? Exactly. That's what it feels like. Like, you'll read his words, and it's like, this is giving me an acid flashback. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, like, coded LSD into his website or something. <laughs> um, well, we had initially planned this series to coincide with getting one million downloads, uh, which came and went while we were in quarantine, and we kind of missed it. <laughs> yep. Whoops. We've technically been planning this episode for two plus years. This has probably been the longest episode we've been researching because you bought me the first book that's one of our sources on your trip back from Oregon two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought you uh, one of the books that we used for this episode. I also bought uh, another book that we'll cover later in this episode or series probably. Yeah, it'll come up. <laughs> um, those are two very fun books to buy at a at a uh a public bookstore a in liberal, portland or oregon yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah when you buy a bunch of book about white supremacists uh people will look at you like i can't figure you out brown man but i know that you have a secret <laughs> and one of the other reasons why we waited so long to do this series is because there are a lot of players involved and we had to kind of cover a lot of those groups to get to this group. Yeah. So all your favorite white supremacists are coming out to play. I hope you're ready for it. And we did not plan to release this right at the same time that Netflix put their series up. But it just kind of happened that way. And might as well, since they get a lot of stuff. I don't want to say incorrect as much as I want to say they tell a very biased version of this story. Yeah. And they don't include what we're going to cover in today's episode at all. And probably not what we're going to cover in the second episode either. 
which is very important because as Paige said, we are truly trying to build here like an Avengers of white supremacy um, <laughs> where we have just like hard as cold as Iron Man. Um, we have uh, the incredible Skulk. Um, we still also don't utilize Black Panther as much as we should, just like the real Avengers. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to cover the series the way that we are is a lot of times when people talk about Waco, they talk about it as an isolated incident and paint it as this group versus the government with no other context. And there is so much additional context that plays into the way that that interaction went down. And it is still a tragedy. Uh, it is There's still fault on both sides, 100%. But I think it's very, 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 very important to understand why things played out the way they did and how were there not other forces at play, it may not have played out that way. I also want to express that throughout this series, there will be a lot of bad people making bad decisions and they don't cancel each other out. There's no either or in this story. It's not either Koresh is bad or the government's bad. It's both people made bad decisions. So we got to cover all of it. This series is a lot like an alien themed porn in that there are a lot of dicey gray areas. If you know yes. what I'm talking about. Yeah, hey. I do. Hey, and creepy oval eyes. <laughs> Side to side. Side note, this is also the third time we're recording uh, this episode because the first two times just crashed for no reason as if the government's trying to hide this episode. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching Skinwalker Ranch on History Channel for weeks uh -huh. and they keep sending testing balloons and stuff up into the air or trying to drill into the ground and then their results just get destroyed or like they try to send a drone out and it doesn't work and that's what this feels like right now like there's an alien force that's like i can't have them tell the truth about ruby rich <laughs> yeah if we record this podcast two more times we'll be doing quote-unquote independent testing on skin car ranch <laughs> There you go. There you go. I hear there's about 400 acres in the Uinta Basin that nobody wants to live in. <laughs> Skin, I mean, the thing is, is after reading Timothy Leary's book on uh, basically how to live your life, I feel like this is what we should be doing. I feel like I should just rip three pages out of his fucking LSD novel out put it in my mouth, burn my social security card and go out and buy the biggest ranch I can get, which right now is either like a square foot in California or <laughs> 72 <laughs> square miles in Montana. <laughs> you could live next to Kanye. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get started. So the first source that we have is actually the book that you bought me two years ago, Ruby Ridge by Jess Walter. Um, as we were getting closer to doing this episode, I also watched a documentary called American Experience Ruby Ridge because I thought it would give me a different point of view, but it turns out that they interviewed the author of the book we read in that documentary. <laughs> they also interview a bunch of other people. It is a very good documentary because they have people from all sides. So it is, I would say, fairly well-rounded as far as a documentary goes. Um, and... 
it, it does a very good job of demonstrating how there's kind of blame everywhere. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So ready. All right. So Randy Weaver met his wife, Vicky, when he was in the Army. He was actually a Green Beret, which is U.S. Army Special Forces. It's like <laughs> the dudes that can kill you with their bare hands. I know that they can kill any person with like the slightest amount of a finger twitch or whatever. But every time I hear that their name is the Green Berets, I always think of them as the most fashionable army dudes. <laughs> which they are. I know. They are. They look like they have to win a war at five, but then win a poetry slam at six. And they always win. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, win a war and sashay away. So when he would come home on leave, he would spend time with Vicky. And eventually, after he finished serving, he came back to Iowa and he and Vicky got married. And they pretty soon had about two children with another one on the way. But they started to feel like they wanted to leave Iowa. Specifically, they wanted to go somewhere more remote and off the grid. What? <laughs> there is not a lot that's more remote than Iowa. I have lived there. It is 90% corn. <laughs> not the band. <laughs> I think it's also also mostly corn the band. Yeah. Um, this brings a whole new definition to cornfields because now I just want to call corn fans cornfields. Yeah. Instead of the rustling stalks of corn, it's their hair banging in the wind. <laughs> well, they decided that they wanted to go to northern Idaho. Oh, God. Where nothing is. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Now... There are reasons for them wanting to do this. I, I just want to kind of give you a background uh, because anytime somebody's like, we're going off into the forest, it sounds crazy. And, you know, I, I probably wouldn't choose to do this, but I kind of understand why they did. Yeah. They sound like me describing Timothy Leary's book of just like, into the forest, burn your social security card, go! <laughs> Follow the adventure to Northern Idaho! <laughs> That, that's not what they did. They actually prepared quite a bit before leaving. But the reason they wanted to go is because it was currently the early 1980s. And in Iowa, all of the farmers around them were going bankrupt. And interest rates on farms and farmland had gotten up to 15 to 16%, making it almost impossible for them to buy a farm of their own. Also, Randy was working at the John Deere factory. And he basically watched wave after wave of layoffs and was wondering when he would be next. On top of that, Randy and Vicky were Christians and they were invested in a very conservative brand of Christianity, specifically one that was focusing on the coming end times. They interpreted the Bible pretty literally, and they saw the current political and social climate as indicators that doomsday was coming. Vicky in particular, according to their daughter Sarah, they literally got rid of TVs and any other entertainment in the house because they believed it to be evil. What? <laughs> they got rid of TV? Yes. How is that going to help? It's still out there. Just because you don't watch it doesn't mean no one else is going to watch it. Yeah, but you're a child, you know, so like that it controls what you as a child see. It's not as uncommon as you would think. I remember growing up 
there were a couple families at our church that didn't have TVs. It wasn't the norm, but like that was a thing. TV doesn't really even influence me that much. And if you guys try to take it away, I will take you on a long car chase and then shoot you in a in a climactic <laughs> scene on top of a water tower. If you try to take it away from me, I'm going to look directly into the camera and give a confessional like every reality show. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't even believe it was good TV. They probably weren't giving up much. If you lived in rural Iowa in the 80s, you weren't getting more than three channels anyway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Corn Channel. <laughs> What's new with corn? All glory to the hypnocorn. Um, <laughs> I'm Tony Kansas, and I, I got a deal for you. No, Iowa's too boring for Tony Kansas. <laughs> Live from your local library, we've got our children's reading hour, Children of the Corn. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they gave up their TV and they started packing provisions and setting up preparations to move to northern Idaho. God, it sounds like they're going on the Oregon Trail, the fucking dumbasses. Yeah, but to the worst part. I mean, well, I will give it this. They showed their homestead. In the documentary, you see it from pretty much all sides. And the surrounding land is gorgeous. Like, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm like, a vacation there for a week and a half wouldn't be so bad. Uh, it's just the being there all the time, I think, would get a little rough. Yeah. So they moved to northern Idaho, about 50 miles from the Canadian border. Uh, they had no running water or electricity. They had to dig a well on the property and they pretty much mostly lived without electricity the entire time. They built their cabin themselves and they grew their own garden, which later became Sarah, their oldest daughter's responsibility. And they occasionally have visit had visitors. Their family came to visit them once or twice and they tried to make some friends locally. But overall, the children were friends with each other and it was kind of a lonely existence. Even so, Sarah, their daughter, looks back on this portion of time pretty fondly. She actually says her and her brother had tons to do and see every day because it's an active farm and they have to constantly work. So even though they're kids, they're constantly working in the garden, working with the animals, getting things ready, cooking and cleaning, and it kept them busy. And she actually thinks it was a good experience for them. I could see that. I also, when you describe their farm, I think it's funny that we as a society kind of draw a line somewhere when people start giving stuff up. Like if somebody came to you and was like, I gave up my TV, you'd be like, all right, pretentious dick, but whatever, I guess. Ooh. Yeah. But if somebody came to you and was like, yeah, so me and my kids live with no electricity, you'd be like, you're fucking crazy, dude. Get away from me. <laughs> well, you could constitute child abuse. Like some people would say that you need electricity to provide for a child in oh, a yeah. society. In in some states, that is the case. In some states, you cannot have children without electricity, and that they would be taken away. You ever had a you ever had a fucking blackout happen while you're taking a shit? You ever take a poop in the dark? <laughs> Do you know how terrifying that is? I'd never wish that on any child. Especially because my poop glows in the dark, so it's like it comes out and it's the worst rave. Yeah, well, of course, but that's just Mountain Dew normally. Right, 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 right. And I want to remind you guys that initially they had no running water. 
That means you don't have an indoor bathroom. Yeah. Oh, of course. I'm, that's why they definitely have an outhouse. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, the thought of having to poop in the dark in a normal house is terrifying to me. The thought of having to poop in a smaller side house meant only for shit uh, <laughs> is worse to me somehow. And the whole time they're like, we don't have a TV. We shit in a tiny house. <laughs> I like that you called it a tiny house because that just makes me that makes me think of like the tiny houses I see on HGTV. And now I'm picturing like a whole compound with like no electricity, no running water, except for this tiny house. That's like the pinnacle of innovation. <laughs> Sometimes I go take a shit just so I can check my email. It is crazy in there. <laughs> I love the idea that you think that the outhouse is so special that they erected a monument to shit. Yeah. Like that it deserves to have its own house because it's so amazing. I guess the concept is because you don't want to shit where you sleep. Yeah. Because back in the day, it was just a hole that you shit in, I guess. Well, now it is too. For them, it's also just a hole that they shit in. God. This is a lot like how the sausage gets made. Like, I don't want to know what happens with my shit after I shit it. (laughs) I just want to sit too long on a toilet playing video games on my phone so my leg falls asleep and I worry about hemorrhoids and then forget that I ever existed there. I do also think it's funny that you're like, no electricity, as if people didn't survive that way for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's not a stupid way to exist. I mean, come on, I'm smoking weed from a vape talking to a person on a laptop. I <laughs> I don't think we would last very long without electricity. <laughs> I certainly would not. No, yeah. I have three different gardens right now and two of them are electric. So like as much as I am like indulging my prepper tendencies right now, I still very much need electricity. <laughs> I do want to see that new Home and Garden Network show where they flip outhouses. You know, they just come in and they're like, so this place has a real good dung shui, but really. Oh, my God. So offensive. (laughs) Um, So the only other humans near them were at a compound about 16 miles south of them. Unfortunately, that compound was the Aryan Nations compound. Oh, no. Now. They weren't necessarily white supremacists or racists themselves. They were separatists trying to live apart from society. But the main reason they interacted with the Aryan Nations was just because they needed friends. You know, they're in the middle of nowhere and it gets lonely. Do the Aryan Nation, is their compound, does it have electricity and running water? It does, yes. Oh my god. Well, yeah, obviously that makes so much sense why they started hanging out with the Aryan Nations. They have bathrooms. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's fair. What That's are these fair. fancy indoor outhouses? Hmm? <laughs> Part of the reason that Randy and Vicky had moved to northern Idaho was because they were very invested in living the way the Old Testament described. They wanted to live off the land and the Aryan Nations actually had a church on their compound. Specifically, it's a Christian identity church, which if you remember from all of our white supremacist episodes, and I do mean literally all, Christian identity thought says that White Anglo-Saxons are the true Jewish people, and the people that we would now know as Jewish people are monsters who take over the government from the inside and control the weather, but also have pretty awesome bread. And 
every other people of color is considered subhuman. Obviously, that makes no sense. Yeah. It's a pretty dumb thing to believe. (laughs) But in conjunction with believing that nonsense, they also have a pretty heavy investment in homesteading. And they really kind of advocate for the type of living that Randy and Vicky were doing. So even though they weren't initially on board with the hardcore racism, it was nice for them to hear somebody be like, yeah, of course, live off the land as God intended. Society is going to hell. You're doing the right thing. Well, yeah. I mean, they're talking with these other people. They haven't seen anybody else in a fucking long time. The closest other people are over 16 miles away. And you go over to this person's house and he's like, Vicky, Randy, I got to tell you, it's not weird that you shit outside and don't have a TV. And they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was starting to think it was weird I shit in a tiny house in my front lawn. <laughs> I don't think it's on. Usually outhouses are in the back. Yeah. Have you never seen an outhouse? I've never had to, no, no, I've never had to. (laughs) The idea of an outhouse is offensive to a Los Angeles person because what you're telling me is there's room for another overpriced studio apartment and you're not making one. (laughs) Outhouse, you mean studio apartment. I think you mean Airbnb for passive income. (laughs) Exactly. Legit, the other day I saw... A, a like a tree house and my first thought was oh kids and my second thought was oh my god an adult man pays rent for that space <laughs> Andrea I want to remind you that close friend of the show Mr. Douglas Fager lives in a tree house oh, I forgot. we know a man who lives in a tree house but like, she doesn't so- live in the tree part oh um, I mean, uh, that's Andrea. not where he sleeps Mm. pays pretty sweet rent for that treehouse. Yeah. Is that why he fucks so good? Yeah. How do you know? No, I mean, that's not what I mean. (laughs) I mean, what did you mean, Andrea? I meant so much. Look, Paige, there's just the beautiful moonlight, (laughs) the treehouse in the sky. He's got that sexy, sexy outhouse. (laughs) Things happen, Paige. (laughs) In the magic of the treehouse. <laughs> Gross. This is a disgusting thought, and I'm not here for it. Regardless, they started hanging out a lot more, especially because there were potlucks and things to do with other families. And Sarah and her brother actually finally had other kids to play with their own age. It seemed like the Aryan Nations was the one thing that was missing from their homestead experience. And so they started to become kind of part of the group. They didn't formally join. They didn't necessarily attend the more racist events. But Randy kind of started to fall in with a group of friends there. And it wasn't long before Richard Butler, the founder of the Aryan Nations, held the Aryan World Congress, which basically attracted white supremacists from around the world. Well... Only the white countries. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm. I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, there is a sign at the front of the compound that says "Church of Jesus Christ Christian Aryan Nations White Kindred Only." Ooh. So I think they got the message. Yikes. But what I mean by that is, it has all of our white supremacist heavy hitters. The Klan was in attendance. The members of Elohim City were there. Uh, the ARA, the Order, all of these people 
were at this Congress. And in part because the Aryan nations were helping to fund a lot of their endeavors. Yeah, it's like a, a hateful all-star game, really. <laughs> Just like a who's who. <laughs> it's the Space Jam of the Aryan nation. <laughs> Come on and slam. And welcome to the hate. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, no. As we know from covering a lot of these groups before, the FBI was kind of on to them. They knew that there was widespread funding going on, that there was essentially an underground white supremacist DIY militia network, and that they were causing some serious problems and posed a national security threat. Of course the FBI was onto them. You could smell them from 20 miles away. (laughs) You could see the gleam off their shaved heads. Yeah, you know they smell bad. They couldn't even put white people only. They had to make it, they had to make a sign that was like, aha, we're like fucking Tolkien hated black people. Ooh. (laughs) It's like the Hobbit was racist. Because they used the word kindred? Yeah. They're fucking, (laughs) ooh, we don't have televisions and we poop in a tiny house. Mm. (laughs) I'm I'm really bummed that Ren Faire got canceled this year because I would have loved to force you to go to Ren Faire. (laughs) Because Ren Faire is the best. The food is great. People have titties out everywhere. And you will also see the biggest nerds alive talking to each other like it's Middle England. It is the best time you can have Paige, on Earth. Look me in the eye. Do I got a shit in the outhouse? You got a shit in a porta potty, maybe. That's basically a new outhouse. You tricked me. <laughs> How dare you? That's one of them HGTV outhouses I saw on that new show where they flip outhouses. You could drink mead, though. Okay, you've taken it back. I'm pretty good with that. There you go. There you go. There you go. And they have uh, beignets. Yeah, beignets with Nutella, which I'm pretty sure is not period accurate. Unless we're talking about, like, my period last week, in which case, (laughs) very accurate. I was going to say, I was like, actually, that sounds really good right now. (laughs) That sounds pretty period accurate to me. Because of all these groups connected to the Aryan nations and because the FBI and the ATF had been watching, they decided to start sending undercover plants to join the Aryan nations. Are we talking like a FICA plant or like a house plant? What are we talking? I mean, hibiscus. Sounds like a hibiscus to me. Mm, They're real mm. sneaky. Fiddle leaf fern, maybe one of those like bougie monstera plants. Um, mm -hmm. that's how you know that you're in like a west elm los angeles home i'm in too deep i've become a cactus now (laughs) (laughs) you you see that monstera plant and you're like "Ooh, you must be a project manager somewhere (laughs) (laughs) you don't even know the meaning of the word outhouse except for get out of my fancy house (laughs) oh So they knew the Aryan nations were holding recruitment style events to bolster the ranks of the militia groups all over the country that they were funding. And they knew that the key to stopping it was planting agents there and on the gun show circuit that the Aryan nations was heavily participating in where they were circulating the Turner Diaries. Oh, my God. This stupid fucking book. I have a copy of the Turner Diaries on my desk at all times that, I, you know, it's just right over there. I actually bought it, like I said, at the same time when I bought these other books. 
Um, and there's still one very confused employee of Powell City of Books. It's like, I don't know what happened. He just, I, it's, I, giant Mexican buying these white supremacist books. I, it's a different form of white supremacist. I don't know what they're doing. I didn't know they grew you that big. You look like one that could handle spices. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a terrible fucking book, and it made its circuit through the second smelliest convention circuit, which is gun shows. I want to I wanna reiterate that the people at gun shows, for the most part, are also fucking nerds. Like yes. a gun oh show. Oh my God. It's the Renaissance fair for death. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a bullet themed Ren fair. <laughs> Not going to lie. Oh my God. Do they have mead? Do they have beignets? Because if so. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a fucking gun show is just Comic Con for I wish you were dead right now. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. 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 So it's hard to argue with that. I also look at it as like, where do you think Joe Exotic got those guns? Definitely a gun show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's also where he got his arms. Am I right? (laughs) Ladies. I'm willing to bet it was on those trips to gun shows where he got those tattoos and piercings, too. (laughs) (laughs) Or just in the back of somebody's trailer at a gun show where they're like, I don't have needles, but I've got this small gun. I'll just shoot the tip of your eyebrow. Don't worry. That piercing will never fall out, no matter how much it looks like it. That's the real magic of his show. (laughs) When I was a child, my stepfather was really into a lot of like military style things, right? And so he used to take me to something that was called uh, plane shows, which is where planes would do these really awesome stunts. You would see like the Blue Angels and they would get in these planes and they would do these really awesome tricks, right? And it was super fun. It was something that I looked forward to every single year was going to the plane show. My stepfather was also into guns and one year decided that he was going to take us to something called a gun show. Now remind you that the only idea of an anything show I know is the plane show where they do all these sick tricks with planes. So I figure we're going to go to the gun show and it's just like Yosemite Sam being like, look at me, shoot this fucking beignet. (laughs) And just like, if it was that, I'm on board. Yes. I want to see somebody like shoot through a quarter. Like yeah. sharpshooters. Yeah. Yes, I'm here yeah. for that. 100%. That's you- what's so misleading about gun shows is that there is no pageantry. There is no <sighs> show. That's what's missing. The fanfare. Exactly. <laughs> At least Comic-Con has pageantry. Anyway, so it's it's that and the Aryan Nation recruitment event. So they start sending undercover plainclothes agents in. And it was one of these recruitment events where Randy Weaver met one of these undercover agents. Now, in talking to Randy, the informant learned that Randy seemed to sympathize with the tenets of the Aryan Nation and that he had moved his family to North Idaho to continue to live the white separatist lifestyle. But he also learned that money was becoming an issue. See, no one farm is equipped to grow and produce everything especially not one on top of a mountain. They still needed money for things like gas and feed for the animals and sometimes seeds and things for their garden. So the informant tipped Randy off to a way that he could potentially make some money by sawing off shotguns. Oh, shit. Yikes. 
If you don't know, uh, that's very illegal. In fact, it's a federal offense. The reason someone would saw a shotgun off is basically to make it easier to conceal and easier to ship and a little bit quieter. It does impact the effective range of the gun uh, because it has a lower muzzle velocity, but maneuverability and concealability make it highly sought after for people who are trying to sell illegal weapons or buy illegal weapons. Now, is this a little entrapmenty? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Should you be hanging with the Aryan nations and offering to modify weapons for them? No, no, absolutely not. You shouldn't. Or should you? Yeah, Paige. Mm. <laughs> you shouldn't. Let me pose it to you this way, okay? Armando Torres, Andre Gazetta, we love the taste of champagne. We love that little bubbly stuff, and we love getting drunk on it. I don't know how to open champagne. So what if I went down to a champagne show and asked some guy to uncork the champagne for me so I could stealthily bring it down so me and Andre could drink it? It's the same thing. It's a free country. It's it's not at all the same thing. And also just go slowly. Like, this is not hard. To saw off a shotgun or to uncork a champagne bottle? I mean, I'd imagine both, but I was referring to the to the champagne <laughs> <laughs> um, just kind of maneuver it out so that when it pops it doesn't hit somebody in the face yeah i mean that's how you're supposed to use a shotgun too <laughs> that's i mean dick cheney would disagree with you but <laughs> <laughs> well he was aiming for the outhouse to be fair so oh no now randy wasn't necessarily a gun dude aside from having them in his house because they're on a farm he didn't really have a passion for guns. And if you're one of our listeners, uh, our coastal elites, um, this is something that I kind of had to learn and understand about more remote parts of our country. My husband, for example, grew up in a house where there were always guns because they live on a farm. And from a very young age, he grew up using and firing guns because there were wild animals or predators just in general to keep their animals safe a gun was a tool like a shovel or a tractor dang badgers getting in the flower bed again <laughs> holy shit you guys shot badgers my s did kill a badger damn it is, in a, it is a federal offense maybe i should <laughs> maybe we should take that out now that i realize that damn, well, no 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 you just gotta i mean the badger was okay because honey badger don't give a fuck he's yeah. like the 50 cent of the animal community <laughs> um, that badger went on to create animal vitamin water <laughs> i do remember when jake so jake and i were long distance for a portion of our relationship because his mom was um uh, very very ill and he had to go back to texas and i do remember being on the phone with him one night and having him be like hold on i hear something on the roof chuck, chuck. <laughs> like, went out and then he just came back he was like damn raccoons i didn't hear any shots so i don't think he shot them but like i have a vivid memory of it um and that's the moment Paige fell in love <laughs> <laughs> damn raccoons indeed in our apartment in Los Angeles, uh, we obviously don't have a day-to-day -day need for a gun, so we don't have one. But it seems like this is kind of what Randy was like. He didn't have guns just to have guns. He had guns because he needed a gun. He owned a reasonable amount of guns for their living situation, and he used them, by all accounts, 
responsibly. And at the time, he wasn't stockpiling or even selling guns illegally, with the exception of the two shotguns that he gave to the informant. And the consensus is, if he had never spoken to that ATF agent, none of this would have ever happened. He had no interest in the gun business before, and he didn't have any interest in it after. But money was money. Listen, buddy, Randy Weaver only cares about two things, and that's a Christian white god that doesn't believe in TV or pooping inside of a house, and the other one, and the other one is the potato business. <laughs> what is that accent? I don't know. It went a little weird at the end there, but I was trying to do like a pirate shark guy from Jaws. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two poops go into the outhouse. 47 <laughs> poops come out. Uh. <laughs> now, the ATF wanted to use Randy's charges as leverage to turn him into their eyes on the inside of the Aryan nations. But the only problem was that Randy didn't really know much. He wasn't in the Aryan nation's inner circle. He was a casual acquaintance at best. There's two problems with ye plan here. The first one is me eye patch. I'm not gonna lie. The second one is <laughs> the second one is yield Randy. I don't know much about their operation there. So when they approached Randy to cooperate, he refused. So they followed and staked out their cabin. Two agents posed as broken down motorists, and when Randy and Vicky stopped to help them with their kids in the car. They were pulled from the vehicle and Randy was arrested in front of his family. He was forced to post their homestead as bond to be released from prison, which meant that if he lost his case, they lost everything. God damn, The dude. stakes could not be higher. Yes. And at this point, I do want to say hindsight is twenty twenty. They probably would have won their case. It was very likely entrapment what had happened to them, but they didn't have good legal representation to know that. They didn't have the ability to acquire legal representation to represent them. You know, they're living on a farm and they already didn't have money. That's why they were cutting the guns off to begin with. And so they kind of just decided to wait it out. They were planting like pens and shit, trying to plant, trying to grow a lawyer, but it wasn't working. <laughs> just like maybe a stapler this time. Come on. Excuse me. That's my stapler. Excuse me. <laughs> Already suspicious of the government and devoted to their separatist lifestyle. This was kind of the last straw for them. If they weren't down for the Aryan Nation's cause beforehand, they certainly were now. And if they weren't already withdrawn from society, they definitely were about to withdraw from society. Vicky began writing letters accusing the local district attorney of being servants to the Queen of Babylon, calling for a war on America's lawlessness with gorgeous penmanship. Like, it's <laughs> beautiful. Strong language. Gorgeous penmanship, just like a woman should. Kids don't learn cursive anymore, and that's really what this episode is about. <laughs> it's not, but uh, it was. They showed the letters in the documentary. And it was like beautiful. Um, the way she dots her eyes when she spells "death to America." Mm, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Randy failed to appear in court for his trial. 
<laughs> it sounds like he didn't do good at a fashion show. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't make an appearance. There was no splash, honey. <laughs> and at that point, his case was passed to the U.S. Marshals, and a bench warrant was issued for Randy to appear in court and address the charges against him. Now, the marshals normally would just go arrest somebody, but given Randy's association with the Aryan Nations, they decided to do a threat assessment first. And initially, they didn't really think Randy was a threat. They thought that he had strong ties to the community and a family that would influence him to err on the side of caution in this regard. But they did note how devoted he was to his cause Randy and Vicky decided that they were going to stand their ground until the case kind of blew over, kind of a come over here and get us mentality. And it's kind of easy to understand why. They knew they couldn't really fight the case, but they also knew that they were secluded and they had kids, which would likely defray any violence that was going to happen. This is what they've been training for. This is exactly what they've wanted since day one. Exactly. And so for two years... The family barricaded themselves in their home on the mountain, never leaving the homestead. God damn! Yes, if you thought your quarantine was bad, you ain't got shit on these people. Two years. Jesus Christ! Two years. No electricity, no running water, no bathrooms. And his biggest complaint on Instagram was that he missed his barber. (laughs) (laughs) Now... Friends from the Aryan Nations would deliver them supplies as needed and visit with them, but the family never left. And every time the Aryan Nations would visit, they would bring news of what the marshals were doing. In the midst of this, Vicky gave birth to their youngest child at home, no doctor, no running water, no electricity. Oh my God. Yeah. Homegirl's strong as hell. As the U.S. Marshals were doing their due diligence, interviewing their friends locally, they would ask how Vicky and Randy would maybe feel if they, let's say, offered to go talk to them. Friends basically gave them the idea that nothing was going to hurt Randy's resolve and that they were going to stick it out on the mountain no matter what. Now, there's one crucial problem. The Marshals were only talking to their friends locally, which was basically the Aryan Nations. Yeah. Because that was the biggest game in town. So everyone who lived locally had some tangential connection to the Aryan Nation compound. And the people that the Marshals didn't contact were Randy and Vicky's family in Iowa. And they probably would have gotten a much different story if they had. Oh, man. I just related to this family so hard. And it's going to weird you out at first, but it's as a tall guy. Because this has happened to me before where uh, somebody has been there with me, a friend that isn't a tall person, and then somebody's like, well, what is he, are you going to do something? And they're like, yeah, tall guy here is going to fuck you up. He's never going to leave this bar. And you're like, this uh, this guy, he doesn't speak for me. I don't really know him. Uh That's exactly what's happening because the Aryan Nations are meeting with Randy and Vicky and they're like, Stay strong. The government's coming after you. You just got to stay here. Stay barricaded. Stick stick with it. But then they're turning around and talking to the marshals and being like, yeah, they're not going to leave. So I don't know what you think is going to happen. So they're kind of playing both sides of the coin. And no one is actually talking to Randy and Vicky. 
I am kind of convinced after reviewing this case a lot that if someone had managed to speak to Randy and Vicky earlier on before interviewing all these people and just said, hey, let's talk this case out, they probably would have. And it probably wouldn't have been an issue. But instead, they got the wrong story from everyone around them. And rumors begin to circulate that Randy and Vicky would, quote, never be taken alive, despite the fact that no one had really talked to Randy or Vicky about it. Newspapers started to characterize them as a neo-Nazi family that was armed to the teeth, which wasn't the case. They had a small amount of guns. It was basically one gun to every adult. Yeah. They were basically, they were armed to the ankle, really. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Amish armed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the more they heard from the Aryan nations, the more suspicious they became. Every adult started never leaving the house without a gun. The marshals started to set up cameras all around the camp to get an idea of how many people were there and what sort of artillery they had. And what they saw in the video was everyone carrying guns all the time, which made them think that there were a lot more guns on the compound than there actually were. And with about two years of barricading under their belts, their distrust of the government grew and festered because they're home alone all day. I've been home for like six weeks and I'm already going out of my mind. Two years? Of course I'd be pay- I have already started three different gardens and I'm planning what to grow for fall to save food for winter as if I live in a place that has snow. I can completely understand after two years that these people think the government is out to get them. I'm sure that I'm like three weeks away from that. Yeah, because right now, as soon as quarantine started, Paige was like, I'm going to learn how to make bread. And then I swear to God, last week, I thought I heard you say northern Idaho seems nice. (laughs) Fun fact, I learned how to bake bread about seven years ago Mm -hmm. uh, because I was bored and alone. And that's what happens when people are alone. They turned to bread. Um, (laughs) The day that my office announced that we were going to be working from home, the first words out of my mouth to my direct superior were, oh, man, I'm going to make so many artisan breads. And she laughed at me. (laughs) And now my Instagram is all bread. Who's laughing now, Miranda? (laughs) And you're just holding a bunch of bread. Also... (laughs) The difference, though, is that you're not going to, like, bread shows at bakeries and meeting other bakers being like, this bread is pretty cool. And also, Jews, right? (laughs) Um, A, they're all canceled uh, because of the damn virus. B, I'm doing something worse, which is watching multiple different YouTube videos on various types of bread to learn special techniques. So, you know... (laughs) this is like a this is like a bread religion well i guess that's what christianity is i was like this is my body (laughs) do this in remembrance when people are alone they turn to bread and all i could think (laughs) was that is jesus that's what jesus is that's why he's like oh take my body it's bread because you're gonna need these carbs i don't know why anyone else is weirded out that people have gotten really into bread and wine when they're in a you know time of turmoil but like it makes sense (laughs) 
Yeah, the bread, it's because the bread and wine companies uh, paid the writer of the Bible a fee so that they could subliminally. It's big bread? Is that what you're pitching? (laughs) Follow the yeast, Hallie Bredton. I thought you were going to say follow the garlic naughty. Oh, follow the aluminum biscotti. I I have not made biscotti yet. I'll have to do that. Uh, Now, with two years of barricading under their belt, Randy did an interview with a local paper. And he leaned full on into crazy. Hardcore. He basically vowed in that interview to never leave the mountain and expressed tons of anti-government sentiment. And the marshals saw that and thought, fuck, we need to do something now. They started surveying the property to try and find a place where they could arrest Randy without any issues. So on August 21st, 1992, 12 marshals descended on the cabin in two teams of six. The goal was only to update their intelligence about the compound and who was there. One team went north above the cabin and the other team of six went south below the cabin. Everything was going fine until the weaver's dog started barking because it heard the southern team. Randy, his 14-year-old son Sam, and a friend of the family named Kevin Harrison who'd been living on the property with them went to check it out with guns in hand because again they never leave the house without a gun. Sarah, their oldest daughter, opted to go home instead of following them until she heard gunshots. And a few minutes later, one of the marshals, Billy Deegan, was hit and 14-year-old Samuel was dead. They claimed that all of them converged on the trail, that they stopped and identified themselves and called for the weavers to surrender. They claimed that at that point, Kevin Harrison dove for cover and opened fire, killing Billy Deegan. And in the firefight, Sam was hit on accident. The family's version is a little bit different. They say that they thought the dog had smelled deer and that's why it was barking, which makes sense. It's a hunting dog and they had to hunt for all of their meat. So they ran down the deer trails, smack dab into a group of U.S. Marshals on their property. And they happened to see them just as one of the Marshals took aim and shot their dog to silence it. 14-year-old Sam, enraged that they had killed his dog, opened fire. The marshals returned fire, and Sam was hit and killed, and Billy Deegan lay bleeding on the ground. Either way, we've got a marshal dead and a child dead. Randy returned to the homestead alone, visibly upset, Kevin eventually returned behind him to let them know that Sam was dead. Vicky, refusing to leave her 14-year-old son's body in the forest, decided that she's going to go back for his body. And by the time they get there, the marshals were gone because they had already run back to report their findings. This was Vicky's breaking point, and understandably so. If there was ever a point at which she was going to turn or surrender... Now her son is dead, and they're staying on the mountain until the worst happens. 
the marshals called for reinforcements. After hearing what happened, the FBI takes over the case completely. Within 24 hours, they gather their hostage rescue team, at the time known as Super SWAT. Oh, okay. That's not a great name, right? No, but that was what they were called, is Super SWAT. That's fine, but it does sound like they're a product that 99 cent store sells to kill 99% (laughs) of the flies. Yes, absolutely. El Super SWAT es muy bueno. (laughs) Randy was now considered extremely dangerous, and the FBI believed that they were going to war with white separatists and the full power of the Aryan nation behind them. So they're given permission to shoot any armed adult, saying that they can and should use deadly force. So the next day, a team of 10 super SWAT agents surround the cabin with sniper rifles. That morning, Randy decided that he wanted to see Sam's body one last time before they buried him, so he and Kevin headed out to the shed where they had stored the body. It had become their norm, as I mentioned, to never leave the house unarmed. Sarah followed after them, and that's when she heard the gunshots. She rushed to Randy, who had been shot. Vicky, on the porch, held the door open and screamed for all of them to get back into the house. They got Randy to the door, with Kevin coming up behind. Vicky stepped out of the way so Randy could get inside, while holding their youngest child, Alishua. Another gunshot rang out. Sarah describes the deafening sound as she was instantaneously covered with her mother's blood and parts of her skull as Vicky collapsed next to her. Oh, oh my God. God. Randy grabbed the baby and handed her to Rachel, one of their younger daughters, and then he pulled Vicky's body into the house so they could close the door. Not knowing what was happening at the top of the hill, neighbors, friends, and reporters collected at a roadblock about two miles away. The FBI started to search the compound outside of the cabin, and they found Sam's body in the shed. This was their first indication that Sam was dead, and all hell breaks loose. Word gets out to the surrounding neighbors and white supremacists that Sam had died and people are fucking pissed because now they see it as the FBI came into their neighborhood, took over the entire mountain, and shot an innocent kid. It's a bad look. And at this point, they've also now shot an unarmed woman holding an infant, but they don't know that yet. For some reason, I'm not sure if they just couldn't see or if news didn't travel or communication didn't happen, but the FBI didn't know that Vicky was dead. There start to be kind of borderline riots at the blockade, so the FBI starts having daily press briefings, but they give them little to no information at the blockade. The FBI decides to call in their crisis negotiation team, but it's kind of too little too late on that one. They bring 400 more federal agents and they start to basically set up camp along the entire side of the mountain. And there's only one problem with the crisis negotiation team. They don't know Vicky's dead. No one knows Vicky's dead. So the next morning, they set up their megaphones and bullhorns and they think that the best option to get the children to safety is to appeal to Vicky 
as a mother. So they start going through the megaphones, calling for Vicky to, quote, let the children out so they can take them to safety. They would tell her that they had things like pancakes or toys for the children, but most importantly, they were only calling out to her and to the family inside, sitting feet away from Vicky's dead body in the kitchen, that was like pouring salt into an open wound. And the family believes that the agents are taunting them. Jesus. Oh my God. Randy, already paranoid, angry, and unhinged, loses his shit and starts yelling back at the FBI agents. They can't really hear what he's saying, but what it looks like is he's angrily opposing them well he's mostly just yelling about the pancakes because that's he's pretty upset about that too honestly they're a terrible breakfast food i know make it waffles right okay Uh, he shouldn't okay i'm gonna start by saying he probably wasn't it wasn't his first concern but it was probably number six to seven right now they enlist a local radio station to send messages to the family asking them to cooperate with the federal agents Uh, They leave a phone on their front porch and ask them to pick it up. But the family didn't trust anyone at this point. At this point, they believe that anytime they step outside the door, they're going to be shot because that's what's happened to them. And so they're not budging at all. Is this is this talk show radio? Yeah, it's like talk radio. It's it's, there's not like songs in between. (laughs) Yeah. You're listening to Delilah After Dark. Yeah, And exactly. also, uh, Randy, please let your family out. Yeah. And now, Penny Lover by Lionel Richie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like they're, you know, yelling at them to come out and then playing Flock of Seagulls after. Like, that's not yeah. what's happening. They're on the hunt. They're after you. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Okay. Uh, thank God. I That was my biggest fear because that sounds horrible. Yeah. No. Uh, now, after eight days of yelling at the house for Vicky to bring the children out, they decided that they weren't getting anywhere and that they would need to bring in a third-party negotiator. And so they were in luck because one was already there. Now, a third-party negotiator is somebody that's not necessarily aligned with the FBI or the family that they think the family will listen to. And they just so happened to find Bo Greitz. Now, Bo is like the Christian identity wet dream. He was allegedly the role model for the movie Rambo. Sure. I'm sure your Tinder profile says that. Whoa, no. Wait, why would you want to put that in your Tinder profile? So that people know. I would never. I don't think the part. I don't think the takeaway from Rambo is that. Oh, wow. Look how sexy that murderer is. I don't think you understand women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair have have you met my husband he could be the inspiration for rambo i'm just saying like you know i get it i get it uh regardless he had also been a green beret and they thought that that would appeal to randy at the time Bo was a third party presidential candidate and he was kind of hoping to make a media splash so he headed up to northern idaho in hopes of helping the situation so on the eighth day, they brought Bo up to the house. 
He called out to the house and Randy actually let him in, which to me just leads more credence to the fact that if they had just gone to talk to Randy initially before any of the shooting started, they probably would have gotten somewhere. Randy? Randy Weaver? It's me, Bo Greitz. And he was like, what fucking Bo? Oh shit, guys, it's fucking Bo. Bo's here, dude. Um, He's just a big Bo fan. No lie. In the documentary, when Bo talks about this, he's like, Bo, is that you? Hell yeah, Randy, it's me. And like they all, <laughs> like they didn't, they weren't necessarily friends. They hadn't necessarily known each other beforehand, but he knew of him. I think because Bo was doing a lot of the kind of like very, very conservative right wing circuit, which at the time included the Aryan nations. So he lets Bo into the house, and Bo is the first one outside the immediate family to learn that Vicky is dead, and also that Kevin is critically wounded. Critically wounded is a weird word, because when you hear it, you know, like I think of like critically acclaimed, so you're like, what panel of judges is deciding? Did Viola <laughs> Davis shoot you? Thank you. Uh, I have a lot of people to thank for this honor. Uh. <laughs> I'd like to thank the bullet. Uh, I'd like to thank God for this honor. Oh, my God. Uh, my gun for organizing this shot. Uh, um, God, my kids at home. Thank you. Go to bed. Oh, and uh, just everybody, you love me. Thank you. Um, the biggest shot out of all goes to that light in the distance. Oh, it looks so soothing. Now, Bo, allegedly, upon exiting the house that first day, said to the FBI agents, wow, you guys really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt that that is exactly what he said. Yeah, and he informed them that Vicky was dead and that he thought Randy would be willing to allow Kevin to leave the house to go to a hospital. But as soon as newspapers reported that Vicky was dead, the entire mob down at the blockade, the roadblock about two miles away, grew, tripled, quadrupled in size, now bolstered with the Aryan nations, white supremacists, etc. It was around this time that they actually started reaching out to Randy and Vicky's family in Iowa. The only reason being, they thought that when they removed the children from the house, they would have to place them somewhere. And it was only upon talking to the family in Iowa that they learned that Randy and Vicky weren't actually part of the Aryan nations they were just kind of separatists and those were the closest people to hang out with but they didn't necessarily have any loyalties there and it was at that time that the FBI realized they weren't fighting the Aryan nations they were just fighting a family which was the roughest thing of all the next day Bo goes back to the house and Randy releases Kevin and they take Vicky's body out of the house and Bo then worked on convincing Randy to let the girls leave the house. They spent one more day packing their things, and the girls and Randy left the next morning with a promise that they would not be harmed as they came down the hill. The next year, Randy Weaver and Kevin Harrison were both tried for the death of Billy Deegan, the U.S. Marshal that was shot the same day as Sam, and both were acquitted on grounds of self-defense. Two years later, the Weavers sued the U.S. government for the deaths of Sam and Vicky, 
and they settled for $3.1 million in damages. And remember, this is $3.1 in 1995. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's really no price you can put on the trauma that you've gone through at that point. Absolutely yeah. not. Obviously, there's no price that you can put on that trauma for a family. It's a horrific experience and it's bad for literally everyone involved. But the Aryan nations got exactly what they wanted. See, they had been feeding information to Randy and Vicky and bolstering their confidence in standing their ground. At the same time, they were feeding information to the marshals, making it seem like Randy and Vicky were much, much more extreme than they actually were. And at the end of the day, what they got was a perfect martyr for their cause. Now they could turn around to anyone possibly even tangentially joining the Aryan nations and say, of course we should take down the government. They shoot innocent children and they shot this woman. And the reality is that everyone had part of the information and not the whole. And it resulted in tragic deaths. Tragic deaths that the Aryan nations would use to add to their ranks over the next three years. And unfortunately, this became kind of a learning experience for the ATF and the FBI. This is now taught in a lot of their crisis classes as basically what not to do in a standoff. But that information and that knowledge and that learning would come too late for the events that would happen only nine months later in Mount Carmel, Texas. And that's where we'll end this week. Damn. Damn. Jesus. This really is like the uh, the prequel to Waco. Yeah, the same gun shows and conventions and collectives that the Aryan nations were funding and attending are the same ones that David Koresh eventually goes to when he starts getting into arms dealing and buying and selling guns. Um, that's very important to remember. Yeah. He is very exposed to both this story and the Aryan nation's narrative of this story and this idea that the government is always evil and they're always out to just shoot innocent people and kill innocent people. And that's definitely going to color his perspective as they go into their own siege with the ATF. You know what's what I've always found pretty ironic is these people could actually definitively prove how terrible the government was if they weren't so racist because everybody who's like the government is terrible could be like did you know that the government fucked over the entire native american population to start our country or did you realize that we put mexican babies in little tiny prisons made for dogs do you know what i mean i mean that had that ha that last one hadn't happened yet but like yeah this is the 80s so like crack war is on oh yeah well, I mean, even still, if any of these people really wanted to showcase how terrible the American government is, if they took, if they even took one second to listen to what they've been doing to people that aren't white. Yeah, yeah to people of color. <laughs> if, if, yeah, if their goal was truly to display the tragedies begat by the American government, all they have to do is look at people of color. But they're so convinced that white is the superior race and that the reason for tragedy is is because of intermingling with people of color that they miss all of the 
legitimate factual tragedies that the government has done in favor of victimizing themselves. And again, this is something that they do over and over again is create these martyr stories. They were they were there to help Randy and Vicky and give them food when they were standing their ground. But where were they with their stockpiles of guns when Randy and Vicky are being gunned down in front of their own house? Fucking nowhere to be found, you know? Exactly. Six, 16 miles away, yeah. very safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in their fucking powder blue Nazi uniform. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it's one of those things where it's a DIY militia where they want to play army all the time, but they're not going to go hiking up through the woods to help people that they have essentially, like, you know, hype manned up for two years to be, quote unquote, prepared for this moment. Yeah, because that's what's happened is essentially we've gotten a rap concert, but the rapper isn't <laughs> there yet. So there's just a hype man there for two hours being like, man, when he gets here, this shit is going to go down. And everyone's like, oh, shit's going to go down. Yeah, the yeah. Aryan Nation hype man is no flavor, no flavor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this is our our. Uh, prequel to Waco, basically. Yeah, they're, when you were describing their recruitment events, and I'm just thinking about the world's lamest barbecue. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no spices. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's okay. And so much mayo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome. Uh, we're going to take a shot of mayonnaise oh. to, com- to commemorate oh, this here Aryan Congress, no. which is a lot like the real Congress, mostly white and secretly racist. Yeah. And not so secretly racist. Yes. <laughs> Um, so this episode is brought to you by uh, your local chapter of the Aryan Nations. Come on by. No. No. Give what? A, Absolutely not. Give us a shout not. sometime. No. Hey, are you tired no. of, of flavor? <laughs> are you tired of seeing things happen on beat and on a rhythm? Shut up. Then why don't Shut you, up. you come by and visit your local Aryan Nations? Take the shot of mayonnaise. We've got you, bro. Oh, God. Shot of mayonnaise. This- the grossest thing I can even think of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In my life, it's probably skin car and then close second shot of mayonnaise. Um, mm. On the real, our show is actually brought to you by our wonderful, lovely Patreon donors. Um, this episode in particular is brought to you by our Patreon donor, uh, Hildegard. Hildegard. Hildegard God. sounds like a strong and beautiful woman. It sounds like a Russian fairy tale. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Something about ballet and a princess gets turned to stone or some shit. <laughs> yeah, and then she goes into the forest and there's this house on chicken legs that walks around and she has to get a horse that can fly with fire or something like that. Anyway, thank you, Hildegard. Um, you are a magical place, being, or other form of noun and we love you so much um thanks for supporting us and thanks for being the realm of the dragons i don't know um i should learn more about D. you don't even like fantasy no not the hugest fan if you'd like to be turned into a fantasy realm that eventually gets made fun of and turned into some kind of Russian mockery tale, apparently, Andrea disrespecting the beautiful Russian heritage of terrifying stories. Um, Those are the Germans. They're all terrifying. I don't like I a story from Europe. That's fair. Really, that's fair. Any, anything European can be terrifying. 
Yeah, pretty much every European tale is like, let me tell you about my nightmare. And then it's just, <laughs> yeah, you try to block it out. From what I've and heard. And then they dip french fries in mayonnaise. It's like a whole thing. If you want this to happen to your name, you can visit patreon.com slash cold podcast. <laughs> um, $5 a month gets you access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone. And uh, a shout out on the show. And... Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you want to send me the funnest thing you've ever actually gotten to do at a gun show, or alternatively, shows you've been to that are better than a gun show, please send them to me on all the things at Sundress Comic or check out my art on Instagram. Right now, until May 7th, I actually have a zine available on my website that catalog the toilet paper embroidery art pieces, things I've been doing. So check that out at andregazetta.com and 50% of the proceeds from that zine will go to helping undocumented citizens during the coronavirus times. Nice. I'm going to say, uh, if you want to show me your gun show, mm -hmm. if sun's out, gun's out, and sleeves are bullshit... You can send that to me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. Also, feel free to send me your planting tips. 100% of the proceeds of the planting tips will go to Paige's food. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, keep in mind that we've only got a tiny patio, but uh, things don't usually grow well around me. And lately that's been different. So that's good. Um, yeah. If you want to, if you can do me a favor and exit and, and make and trick Paige into growing psilocybin mushrooms. That'd be real great. Armando! If you could somehow trick Paige into growing Armando. that. Armando! I'd love that. Thanks a lot. I'd be able to identify those immediately. I'd be like, who did this? Help me this? out. Send me those psilocybin mushrooms that look like tomatoes. Uh, help me out. Who's, whose ground penises are these? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, real quick, if you are looking for something to do on May 6th, I'll be doing a virtual comedy show. Um, not really sure how it works, I'm going to be honest with you, so just go to my Instagram on May 6th uh, in the morning and I'll have more information on where the show's going to be and how you can watch it. It's going to be a really fun time and uh, you'll get to see what I look like stuck in quarantine. Um, spoiler alert, it's not great. I look like I'm going crazy. I look like one of these guys, honestly. Well, no, I don't. Actually, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this shit's lame. <laughs> uh, if you like our show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to ColtPodcastShow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us um guns don't yeah don't do no. that don't ever yeah. send us guns Please we have no don't. need for them if do you, it if you want to send us no. a if you want to send us a potato gun or nerf guns Ooh, i would do nerf guns do so hard guns. if you if you want to send us nerf guns you can send those to 3756 west avenue 40 sweet k number 237 like, like the, the shining, shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. If you send me a sawed-off potato gun, you're going to jail, but I will love you. So, <laughs> you know. What are you going to do with that potato gun in this apartment? Uh, well, gonna, it'll be Armando? easier to store because it's sawed-off. <laughs> secondly. That's how we're going to plant potatoes, Andrea. I didn't tell yeah, you. That's how you get them deep in the ground. Yeah. Bam.
You've never yes. farmed before. I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> and I'm going to say, don't drink anything the Aryan Nations hands you at a potluck. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.